0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Koulas. This is 7am. Scott Morrison has made a new appeal to the group he calls the Quiet Australians. He says they have a trust deficit with the public service, and he wants bureaucracy to focus on serving them. Rick Morton on how the research tells a different story to the Prime Minister.
1: I want the APS to have a laser-like focus on serving these quiet Australians, those who don't meet here and you never hear from, largely. They're too busy doing life. Australians who just get on with it, but often feel their voice gets drowned out by the shoutier ones in the public sphere and parading through this place.
0: Rick, do we know anything more about who Scott Morrison is referring to when he refers to the quiet Australians.
1: That's a very good question
2: and um, they're the middle Australians now. Um, Scott Morrison kind of calls them the quiet masses, the quiet Australians, uh, middle Australians. It's, it's all code for the silent majority.
0: Rick Morton is a writer for the Saturday paper.
2: And I think the closest he's come to actually telling us what they look like is in an op-ed he wrote after a summer holiday in the New South Wales south coast where he talked about going to the the Shoalhaven Heads Hotel and having a beer with, you know, surf lifesavers, professionals, uh, single mums and a whole bunch of kind of everyday people. He could have gone on and mentioned, you know, the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker um, because that's kind of what he's getting at. And I think it's actually quite intentional that he doesn't want to go into any more detail because they are then whatever you want them to be. You know, they are the the Rorschach test of politics. Um, You see what you want.
0: Hmm. And what do you think Morrison was saying Although I understand they could be an amorphous group, what do you think he was saying to those people in the speech that he made last week?
2: Yeah, so I mean, he gave this speech to the Institute of Public Administration, and ostensibly it was a speech about the public service and the bureaucracy, which, you know, is a fun punching bag for ordinary Australians and always has been. He said he wants the public service to have a laser like focus on middle Australians. He doesn't want them to get caught up on the old ways of doing things, he doesn't want them to get caught up in
1: orthodoxy, he wants them to think outside the box. Politics is very responsible. It's responsive to those at the top and those at the bottom, but not so much to those in the middle. And this will not be the case under my government. Middle Australia needs to know that the government, and including the public service, is on their side. But really what Scott
2: Morrison was saying to them was a coded message for Middle Australians saying, I am on your side, I want the public service to be on your side and, you know, in Canberra particularly, the place is overrun with lobbyists during parliamentary sitting weeks and the lobbyists are there for the big end of town, they're there for the rich Um, and he said they're there for the poor. He's talking about the Australian Council of Social Services and um, all the advocacy groups like Welfare Rights Network, etc. Now, what he was trying to bait the middle Australians with there is that nobody is listening to you and you've got your own concerns. You don't participate in the same shouty way as the extreme ends of society and you are the people that ought to have equal say. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who do think like that and they think that they've been stuck in the middle.
0: This idea that the middle Australia is ignored, that the top sort of gets everything and the bottom gets what's left, that's basically a, a Robert Menzies' forgotten people or a John Howard's idea of the battlers. It's, it's not itself new.
2: Correct, correct. It, it, it's not a new observation at all. And whether they're forgotten people, Howard's battlers, or middle Australians now, the group may have changed in terms of its demographics and its cultural outlook, but the fact that they are a group that has been identified as useful to politics on either side, depending on who can talk to them more directly, is not
1: new at all. Yet the vast majority of Australians will never come to Canberra to lobby government. They won't stay at the Hyatt, they won't have lunch at the Ottoman... They won't kick back at the Chairman's lounge at Canberra Airport after a day of meetings. And what these Australians who don't do those things do every day is work hard. They pay their taxes, they put their kids through school, they look after their families, they give back to their communities, and they are the centre of my focus as Prime Minister and my government.
2: Whether he's right or wrong, Scott Morrison's assessment of this is that those people feel like they were left behind because all the people in the cities and with the nice jobs are talking about these kind of airy-fairy concepts that just don't apply to them. You know, they're out there working. And I think that is true. Um, I mean, I know these people. I grew up with them. And I think the real consensus politics going forward now is how you reach those people and bring them with you, whether you're on the left or the right.
0: And to the question that the Prime Minister raised in that speech, so the question of trust, have we actually, do you think, lost faith in the public service?
2: No. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, So, I mean, I didn't know this data existed, but in writing this piece I found the World Values Survey and they do uh, across different countries, but Australia has its own survey which is headed up by the Australian National University and Australians are actually gaining faith in the public service when faith in all other institutions is on the decline. And not only is it on the decline, in many cases it's at record lows Mm -hmm. So faith in the public service has been rising year on year since the 80s, but faith in political parties and the federal parliament is the lowest it's ever been on both counts. And not only that, but Australians just don't trust banks or churches or trade unions or the press, dare I say it, and journalists, as much as they used to. But the public service and associated parts of the public service, like the armed forces, the police are all increasing in trust. So there's no truth to Mr Morrison's claim that there is a trust deficit. In fact, it's quite the opposite, and I suspect he knows that.
0: We'll be right back.
1: Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening.
2: For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. I was a 23-year-old former cadet journalist with the Gold Coast Bulletin. I was seconded to the Education Minister's office. One of the jobs I had as a media advisor was to be the sole delegate of that office in meetings every week with the senior departmental lawyers as they were going through their right-to-information requests. Now, those requests were from journalists, they were from ordinary citizens, they were from other departments, other Agency, you know, the lawyers would come to this meeting on the top floor, the 21st floor of this brutalist building in the middle of Brisbane City and they'd had these giant A3 Excel spreadsheets with all of the requests that had come in, all the requests that were due to go out and how they had decided on them. And I'm 23, I've done no legal training whatsoever and I'm sitting there telling them what they can and can't release, essentially. So I look at the lawyers and I say, I think you've been a bit broad on that interpretation and why can't we use this section to not release that? I was sitting there telling these top departmental lawyers to be more secretive. And so I was essentially sitting there arguing with them from no basis except that I didn't want information to be released on behalf of the department that would embarrass my boss.
0: And whose interests were you representing?
2: Certainly not the people's and not the journalists. I was serving the interests of a government. What these stories actually explain is the nexus between the political masters, you know, the politicians, the elected MPs, the ministers, and the public service.
0: When you talk about the role that you played in that process, were you part of the problem with the erosion of trust?
2: 100%. And I I knew that I was part of the problem. The mere fact of me being in these meetings as a delegate of the minister and keeping information secret, you know, I'm contributing to the erosion of trust in the government machine. And that is something that Australians instinctively feel governments get up to. But there are a few concrete examples of how they go about it that don't make it out in the news. And that's one of them, and it's a really good one. And I knew that, you know, the mere fact of me being in those meetings, I was sitting there saying, hey, let's tell the people a little bit less. I was actually having a really good chat with Rebecca Huntley, who's one of the best social researchers in the country, and she's now the principal of Vox Populi. And she said, you know, in an environment where most Australians don't want to admit to trust in anything, except maybe their best friend or their dog, they will admit to trust in the public service. And as she said, in almost all of the qualitative studies and the focus groups that she's ever held, the reason they will ever have a fear or an anxiety about the public service is when there is the mere hint that it has been politicised.
0: Let's talk about that, because the size of the public service has been decreasing and there's a lot more private contract work advising government... What does that mean?
2: Well, it essentially means that what used to be an in-house skill in the public service is now flung out into the ether at vastly inflated prices, and they lose the ability to keep all that information in one place. I mean, the National Disability Insurance Scheme is still being built, and last year they spent $600 million on consultants and contractors because there is a staffing cap and they can't employ the people they need. and. Because it's such a vast undertaking, those people are all employed through about 20 different job agencies, another 20 different non-government organisations, and so all of these entities are all doing essentially the same job here and there, but they've all got different interpretations of what that job is, they've got different styles of doing it, and there's no consistency. I mean, how do you expect perfection? How do you even expect mediocrity when you can't keep it uniform like that?
0: And the other thing, Rick, surely is that there's incentive for those outside organisations, those private organisations, to advise in a particular way and essentially to please the government's agenda because they know that next contract is likely to come from the same place.
2: Correct. And, and you know, you've got the four big accounting firms, you've got the big banks, the auditing firms, they, they all do work for government. And nothing will ever be written down, but there is always an understanding about what is required in the ultimate report. I'm not saying that they fudge it necessarily, but, you know, they will not throw the government under a bus. And so you're not getting the full breadth of the information that you as the public deserve because their whole existence depends on it. And, you know, in some cases, their whole existence depends on advising the government to do something that they know will bring them more work in the future. You can't just keep having these arbitrary efficiency dividends on departments. You can't just keep cutting money from their budgets and expect the quality to still be there. It's just not the case. And when you lose that, it's very hard to get it back.
0: So what is it, Rick, do you think that Morrison is trying to say in this speech by highlighting that he believes there's a trust deficit with the public sector?
2: I think what he's ultimately saying is do what I say, don't get in my way, and he had to say it in a polite way. And I think that involved apportioning some of the blame to the public service when it wasn't warranted. But I think mostly, I mean, it was this stump speech that all incoming leaders give to the public service going, we are here to do a job, you are there to help us do that job. So it's not earth-shattering in that sense, but I think what he added the new dimension of tying it, the idea of this angry, silent mob in the middle of Australia, and I think it's almost like a, a warning light for the public service saying look after these people because if you don't, they'll be coming for your institutions too.
0: What about this view that, in a way, Morrison is directing this mistrust as kind of a deflection mechanism, taking it away from politics and the parliament where we know the research shows that it is and trying to point it back at the public service bureaucracy?
2: Oh, yeah, easiest game in town. I mean, he knows, he's a smart man. I mean, all of the stuff that he refers to in his speech about uh, the quiet masses and the silent majority rising up around the world. That's all against political institutions. It's against perceptions in their politicians. And it's the same thing here. I mean, we had in 2016 the highest vote for independent parties since World War II. And the last federal election in May was not far behind. And so he knows that there is upset. And he knows that it is directed at the political masters. And so I think he knows all of this stuff. He knows that public service bashing is is a national sport, really among almost any Australian that you'll ever talk to but I think he kind of fumbled a little bit in that yes that is the the national sport but deep down Australians don't actually have any dramas with the public service and you know he was just trying to deflect for however long that works yeah, at the same time kind of giving them a kick up the
0: backside Rick thank you so much thanks Elizabeth Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO's studio casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Mementa. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is Unmissable Contemporary Dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Elsewhere in the news... The Independent Commission Against Corruption in New South Wales has heard that Chinese billionaire Huang Zhang Mo gave former Labor State General Secretary Jamie Clements an Aldi bag containing $100,000 after a fundraising dinner in 2015. The ICAC is inquiring into potentially unlawful donation schemes in New South Wales. Huang is a property developer and would be prohibited from making donations under New South Wales law. And some 90,000 bank customers have had their personal data exposed through the PayID system, part of a real-time payment system owned by the Big Four banks and 11 other financial institutions. The Big Four have all confirmed that some of their customers were among those affected. Data that may have been disclosed included names, phone numbers, BSB and account numbers, and users' PayID names. Although this information isn't likely to allow direct access to customer accounts, it could form the basis of further scams to trick customers into sharing more information. This is a second significant breach of the payment management system since June. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. See you Wednesday.